When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. It's a foot race, and Crowder is in there! A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught! Incredible play by Donald! He'll hit immediately. He's the handoff. That's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh! Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is time for the mailbag, answering your questions with the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's going on, buddy? Ah, you know, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to think of something clever for you, but I I got nothing. There's absolutely nothing going on right now. Chris, I have one question before we get into the mailbag. I understand that the beat has to ask certain questions, right? But asking Joe Douglas about Deshaun Watson when you know he can't answer because it would be tampering and asking him about the Mets GM that got fired, what is that about? <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the Deshaun question is I'm sure that who, the editor told them to ask it. The Mets one, I I don't know what that's about. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't I'm not aware of the person who uh, asked that question. There was also the uh, you know the the question we knew was going to be coming about uh, Robert Sala's brother in nine eleven, and uh, it, I, it was something that you knew was coming, and uh, but it, it still felt weird um, and, and a little forced, uh, but. Sometimes it's because editors have to say so are selling you to say something, and I think that's probably what it was for both of them, especially for the Mets one. Again, I, I'm not sure who it was who asked that question. It wasn't a uh, somebody who's been typically on the beat, but my guess is that they're probably looking for some type of or article to connect the, the two, or maybe to use this uh, uh, their quote as an article to supplement the Mets thing. So some, sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes uh, they're trying to ask a question for some, a different story completely than what you're thinking, which probably isn't the right time for an introductory presser, but you know, 
things happen. That, that's how it goes sometimes. Oh, good to know, because I was curious when I heard those questions. I was shaking my head. I was like, what? You're trying to get him to admit to tampering right now, and then you're asking a question about a Mets GM? It was bizarre. But yeah, I guess that's what it is. A lot of times these editors have demands on you, and you just kind of got to keep them happy. So it sounds like that's what the deal was here in this case. Let's jump into the mailbag now, Chris. First question comes in from CC716. He says, given how good his defenses were in San Francisco, are you a little upset that Salah won't call defensive plays? No, I'm not. I'm not at all. In fact, I'm happy he's not calling defensive plays. Chris, you and I have talked about this before. I didn't want to hear about the Robert Salah defense, and I still don't. I don't want to hear about it at all. I want to hear about the Jets defense. I don't want to hear about the Shanahan offense. I want to hear about the Jets offense. Now, obviously, the defense is going to have elements of what Robert Sella likes. And obviously, the offense is going to have elements of what Shanahan does. But I want them to make it their own. And I also want Robert Sella to focus on being the head coach of the team and not sticking his hands in too much on the defense. We've seen where that's led the Jets in the past both on offense with Adam Gase, on defense with multiple people, including Rex Ryan and Todd Bowles and Eric Mangini and so on and so forth down the line. You want somebody who trusts the staff that he hires enough to let them do their jobs, and it looks like that is what Robert Sala is going to do. So I actually was very relieved when I heard that he's not going to be calling the plays. Yeah, I I agree. Um I basically the whole time that this was being interviewed and the, uh, he was being interviewed and it was being talked about it. You heard the names Chris Richard uh, thrown out there as a possibility that lets you know that that's how he was coming into this. He wasn't looking to be the defensive coordinator and the head coach. Um, we, we talked about this a lot over the years. We talked about it before Gates was hired. The, the thing with the downside to hiring a coordinator as your coach and then you take them and you have them do all the other stuff, and it, but it ends up watering down what they do as a coordinator. But as good of a coordinator as Robert Sala was, you didn't hire him to be the defensive coordinator of this team. You, that's not why you hired him. They hired him because of the, he's a leader um, to oversee the whole team. And so he's not going to be bogged down with the play calling and he's going to be able to oversee everything. But this doesn't mean that he's not going to be involved in game planning. Uh, he's got, uh, uh, you know, Jeff Ulbrich, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, as is the defensive coordinator now. He took over in Atlanta when uh, Raheem Morris became the interim coach after Dan, Dan Quinn got fired. That defense turned around and looked really good. Um, but J Robert Sala is going to be in on – game planning meetings and building and constructing the defense, but he's going to delegate and leave the play calling to Ulbrich. And I think that's exactly what needs to be done. And you're still going to get the same type of uh, idea where Robert Sala is about being flexible, about uh, having an adjustable defense that can adapt to things. And he's going to instill those types of things and make sure that th this goes into the game planning and Ulbrich thinking along the same lines. And that's why I'm sure he hired him specifically because he thinks that he will be willing to do all those types of things. So just because he's not going to be running the defense quite like that and not doing the playmaking doesn't mean that he's going to just grab anyone to do that. No, he's going to look for somebody 
that's going to approach things in a similar fashion uh, sense uh, uh, that he does. So I'm not concerned about it at all. I think exactly what needs to be done. And I think that's what he's suited for just to be the leader of the entire team working on all sides of the ball. And again, it's not like they're not going to be able to make use out of his defensive mind. He will be involved in game planning. He will be involved in, you know, installing the scheme and teaching that scheme to the players. Um, He's just not going to be doing all the nitty gritty details work that would require taking him away from overseeing the rest of the team. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Green Go. He says, which 49ers free agents do you see the Jets signing? And then Jesus De La Paz Jr. adds, which of the 49ers will they target? I think it's got to be Kyle Juszczyk and possibly Kerry Hyder. So let's talk about this, Chris. There are a lot of guys on the 49ers that are free agents this year. They're up against the cap, so they're not going to be able to keep quite a few of them. Richard Sherman is a free agent. From what I'm hearing, he's probably not likely to come to the East Coast, even though he's been saying really nice things about Robert Sala and the Jets specifically, but who knows? It's possible. Solomon Thomas is a free agent, but I don't really think they need him. Kendrick Bourne could be interesting, could be an extra receiver that they add. He's been reasonably productive, at least in San Francisco. Kyle Juszczyk was brought up. I think he makes a lot of sense for what they want to do with that offense. Jarek McKinnon could help add some speed at running back. And then you look at the defense, and obviously this is where people would think that Robert Sal would bring some of his guys. Kerry Hyder had a breakout season last year. He's somebody they could bring in. Ronald Blair apparently is a player that Robert Sala really likes a lot. Akilah Weatherspoon could help a lot at cornerback. Kwan Williams is another one that's a strong possibility so there are a lot of guys on that 49ers team that could very well end up here I don't know how many of them he's going to bring I don't think it's going to be like the New York 49ers all said and done but this could be something similar to what you saw with Rex Ryan where he brought in Bart Scott and Jim Leonard maybe one or two guys that become key pieces on this defense yeah coaches love to do that they uh, when they get hired from coordinator to uh, an NFL uh, head coaching job they love to bring a couple of players with them. And I, I expect that they'll try to do that this way. And it, this is a situation where it works, where you can dip on both sides of the ball. Cause you mentioned Rex bringing Bart Scott and Jim Leonard, but he had nothing to do with the offense. He didn't bring Baltimore offensive coordinator with him. Zala's bringing a, a 49ers offensive guy with him. So they could dip on both sides of the ball. You mentioned a lot of the names, um, you know, obviously, offensively isn't as intriguing. The use check thing, you got to think use check is a strong possibility just because I fully expect this team will have a fullback uh, next year. So that that would make a lot of sense. Um, Kwan Williams, uh, you mentioned this stuff about Richard Sherman. 
Richard Sherman in one of his tweets uh, said, you know, hey, Kwan Williams is from Patterson, New Jersey. Like, so he was kind of being like, that tweet read to me like Richard saying, I'm not sure I'm going to go all the way out there, but Kwan will go with you guys. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you know, there's Kerry Hyder's another one. Uh, the, the real interesting name to me, and I, I don't know what I'd be willing to do about it because he's had in, all these injury issues is Jason Verrett. Because if you could get Jason Verrett, a health, healthy Jason Verrett, I think that would be such a huge, awesome move. But at the end, he just had so many in, injuries battling them. Um, but, yeah, I, I think you can look for someone like a Kwan Williams to come on, along you know, maybe maybe you get a Tevin Coleman or a Kendrick Bourne for the offensive side, but I'd expect that you're going to get a couple of 49ers players over here next year. Michael Christopher has a series of questions. He says, with the Jets transitioning to a base 4-3, how will C.J. Mosley fit as middle linebacker in that system? Do you think Robert Sallow will incorporate more wide nine stuff on defense? And also, after watching QB1 with Justin Fields, do you think he has what it takes to play in New York? And in your eyes, would he be a major upgrade over Darnold? So let's start with the first part of this. I'm a little less worried about how C.J. Mosley will fit in the 4-3 than I am with how he's going to look after being gone for two years. I think he'll be fine in the 4-3 if he's healthy and ready to go, but I'm definitely concerned about that because by the time training camp comes up, he won't have played in over two years. So that's a very big thing to be concerned about, especially since he's not 24 or 25 He's 29, so he's getting towards that area where you start to worry about a player like him. As far as wide nine, honestly, I think a lot of that has to do with whether they add speed rushers because you need that to effectively run the wide nine. So we'll see what they do in free agency and in the draft. Or if Robert Sala thinks that he can get something out of Jabari Zaniga that we didn't see this past season. As far as Justin Fields, I didn't see QB1 yet, so I'll leave that question to you, Chris, because I know you have an opinion on that and a very strong one. But I do think that taking him over Darnold would be a very smart move. Whether it's him or Zach Wilson, I think you've got to take one of the two. Or even Trey Lance. I'm open to him. I have to look more at Trey Lance. Chris, I know you like him a lot. I haven't really dug in on him. But I think you've got to get a new quarterback who gives you more upside. At this point, you've seen 38 games of Sam Darnold. And while he can get better, we've talked about this many times, the odds of him reaching anything close to what we thought he was going to be are very slim. And you have to wonder what's reasonable in terms of expectations for how much he can improve based on how bad he was this past year. And as far as the rookies, not only do they have more upside, but you start the rookie contract clock all over again. Because remember, Sam Darnold is going to be in the last year of that rookie deal. You get Zach Wilson, you get Justin Fields, you get Trey Lance. Those guys all give you five years to operate under with a cheap contract. So that's a very important part of this. And I do think that picking one of those guys over sticking with Darnold is the right move. So Chris, let's go through this. Transitioning to a 4-3, will C.J. Mosley fit as a middle linebacker? Do you think Salah will incorporate more wide nine? And what are your thoughts on Justin Fields based on QB1? Would he fit in New York? And would he be an upgrade over Darnold? All right. First, thank you for including Trey Lance in there like you did because it <laughs> saved me from having to erupt about Trey Lance not being included. Because every time I see people do these Justin, Justin Fields and uh, – 
uh, <laughs> Zach Wilson, there's a part of me just inside screaming, did you guys start paying attention to Trey Lance already? So I appreciate that. Uh, I'm not worried about uh, Mosley going to, from the 3-4 to a 4-3. Um, if he's – it's it's what you said. Uh, the My main concern with Mosley is – the injury he had two years ago, coming back from that, and then having this year off, uh, just what's he going to look like? Um, if he's anything close to the player that he was, 3-4, three, 4-3, four, four, three, it doesn't – nickel defense, whatever. It doesn't matter. C.J. Mosley is going to do C.J. Mosley things. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. Um, I'm just – I'm, you know, going to – sit there and say, okay, we need to just get a look at what he looks like training camp and preseason going into all this. Um, yeah. And then as for, for the wide nine stuff, it's what you said again. Uh, it, this is going this, the first year of new coaching staff, especially uh, defensive coaching staff can be a little weird because you can be in like a transition period where you're still going to have a bunch of people, from the previous regime who don't really met, match what you're trying to do. And then we, this is another thing we always talk about. Yes, it's a base 4-3, but they'll play some 3-4. They play nickel. They play other things. So, you know, even if you were concerned about Mosley in a 4-3 linebacker, you can play in other subsets and different things. They'll be able to do things around it. But I think, especially with the more wide nine stuff, You'll probably we might see some of that this year if they're able to get people who can do that. But I think that's more of a down the road thing once they he has a couple years to really put the roster together in his image. That's when you'll start seeing more guys fit that type of style exactly what he's looking for. And it takes you know you you can't just go out in one off season and just rebuild the team to fit your exact scheme. So it is going to take some time. There's going to be some in-between stuff there. But I do think, uh, you know, two years from now, three years from now, you can expect to see a ton of wide nine there. As for the Darnold field stuff, I again, I haven't fully dove in on the field's tape yet. I have watched pretty much every one of his games as it happened. Um, the main – the. The main difference here, and, and next week I'm going to start the tape on all the the quarterbacks and everything. I, I did the Trey Lance one. Zach Wilson and Fields are up next. But the main reason why I'm going to plant my flag in the idea that Justin Fields is better than Sam Darnold coming out is because of just his mechanics and how clean he looks, He how much. There's Justin Fields' biggest thing, uh, adjustment he's going to have to make at the NFL is dealing with pressure and how to deal with pressure. And that's not an uncommon thing for college quarterbacks to have to learn. Sam Darnold had to learn and deal with that too. That was obvious on it, on tape coming out. But there was so much that I loved about Sam Darnold, but there was also so many concerns I had. I was just willing to overlook some of those concerns because of the potential, because of some of those huge special throws that he makes. Justin Fields doesn't have the footwork sloppiness and he doesn't make the the same type of like trying to force something to happen quite like Darnold did in college. Um, so I just think uh, Fields is a cleaner prospect than Darnold was coming out. And then you throw in everything else, the three years of Darnold, the broken state that he's in now, the fact that he's going to cost more and then, 
all that stuff. Yeah, I'm going with one of these quarterbacks, and I, and I'm I'm not even thinking about. It. I'm not even hesitating. Next question comes in from Jets Timeline. He says, "What do we know about what's happening with Brant Boyer and special teams?" Chris Robert Sallow was asked about this at the press conference, and he said he hasn't really had a chance to sit down and evaluate special teams yet. So. I guess it's open for interpretation. I still think there's a very good chance that Boyer stays. Yeah, I think there's a an excellent chance Boyer stays. Uh, I thought that before the pressure happened, uh, well, I thought it was a good chance Boyer stays. Now I'm going with excellent. I think part of it, the reason why I'm saying that, is just because he doesn't seem to be any type of uh, pressing rush to get, the, get that done. Um, and at this point, he didn't have somebody else uh, lined up, he doesn't have. If he didn't have somebody in mind that he had to go out and get, um, I think he said he's, you know, he's talked to people about him. He's gotten good recommendations, heard good things about him. I, I just think at this point, it makes a lot of sense. It also, it always makes sense, in my opinion, if you have a good special teams coordinator to keep him around. You have a little bit of continuity. He can be that. Um, you know, the middleman between the coaching staff and the players. He's He's got his hands on every player on that roster pretty much. So I think that would that'd be a really good, uh, you know, way to bridge the gap there. Um, and so I, I think there's a very good chance that it could happen. Now, it, you know, he could have just been giving us a lot of lip service and he could have some – Salah could have somebody else in mind that he's still going after right now. But I, I'd say that there's a strong chance that Boyer will be the, the, the coach going forward. Next question comes in from Rob Blundy, but it's really just a statement. It says, all gas, no brakes. Get ready for that, Chris, because as I said on Twitter, that is the new clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. <laughs> yeah, I'm already sick and tired of it, and <laughs> I get it. I was watching, I'm looking at Twitter yesterday, and I was just like, oh, man, this is already wearing on me. Uh, already. It's not Robert Sala's fault. I'm not, I'm not going to put that on him, but yeah. I'm already tired of hearing that. Next question comes in from Big Z1591. He says, with some staff announcements made, will there be any holdovers from the previous regime? And he lists Sean Jefferson, Denard Wilson, Heinz Ward, and Brant Boyer. Well, we talked about Boyer. Heinz Ward and Sean Jefferson I don't think are going to stick because Miles Austin's going to be the wide receivers coach, so I'm sure he'll probably bring in his own guys to help him out. And obviously Sean Jefferson will try and get himself a wide receivers coach job. Denard Wilson is a name that we've heard as a possibility to stick around here, so maybe he stays as a defensive backs coach. But that's the only one that I've really heard about. You could see some low-level assistants stick around too. That's possible. But as far as the main guys on the coaching staff, I think Boyer and possibly Denard Wilson, and that's probably about it. Well, you got you got to bring back Dow Loggins to handle challenge <laughs> flag duties. That that has to be top priority. Um, now, uh, yeah, Boyer. Um, I, I would love for them to retain Denard Wilson and keep him. Um, I think that he he is an excellent DBs coach, and I you know much like. You, you saw Aaron Glenn get a little bit of head coaching interviews, and now he's going to be the Detroit uh, defensive coordinator. I think you're going to start seeing that with Denard Wilson in the next couple of years. But I I would understand in, uh, and if Robert Sala wants and Ulbrich want their own guys in that area. I would absolutely understand that. 
And then, yeah, so it, it's Boyer, Denard, Wilson. To me, that would be uh, worth bringing back. Otherwise, I just, you know, I, I don't – Hines Ward would definitely be great to, to, to bring back. I think the, the players really liked him. I think he would be able to coach, uh, you know, what they're trying to do here offensively. I think he'd be able to do that well, but – as you said, bringing in Miles Austin is probably going to be his show to run. So, I I, I think that Denard Wilson's the one guy that that might. But even then, uh, I I think they'll probably end up going and building out their own staff. Next question comes in from Pastrami Parody Account. He says, "What do you guys prefer, Fields or Wilson at number two, or Trey Lance and picks presumably at number seven to ten? Here's my problem with that: you don't know that you're going to be able to get Trey Lance if you trade down. So if you're at number two and you have your choice of the quarterback, I think you just stay at number two and pick the guy you like, even if it's Trey Lance." I would be very nervous about trading down to 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 because I would think that either somebody ahead of me would take him or somebody would jump me to take him thinking that I was getting ready to take him. So I'm not willing to play that kind of Russian roulette. He also asked, do you prefer Danishes or turnovers? I'm a Danish guy myself. I don't eat breakfast pastries very often, but when I do, I do love a good cinnamon Danish. So Chris, what do you think? The trade scenario with Wilson... Fields and Lance, and then are you a Danish or turnover guy? The only way to, that you trade down is if you're not taking a quarterback. You don't trade down uh, hope, hoping to get a quarterback at seven or ten. I I know everybody is thinking this. Okay, it's Trevor Lawrence, it's Justin Fields, or Zach Wilson, two and three. I'm I'm telling you guys, I don't know how the draft is going to go, but. I'm telling you, there's going to be a handful of teams, at least a handful of teams that are going to have Trey Lance over uh, Justin Fields and or uh, Zach Wilson. This, they're going to be, they're, they're all going to be really close and some teams are going to prefer certain things. Um, so it's not, I know everyone seems to think right now that it's those top three and Trey Lance is comfortably four, but is, I don't think that's what, where we're going to be once the draft comes around. Um, remember, uh, like Baker Mayfield was not in the discussion for the first overall pick at this point that year. It was all Sam Darnold at this point. Um, and this is going to be exacerbated even more because Trey Lance didn't play last year because there's not going to be a combine. Um, but if you like a quarterback enough to take it two, you take him at two. You don't risk trading down and missing out on them. You don't risk trading down and saying, all right, well, these guys are going to take Fields and Lan- and Wilson, and then they go and take one of those guys. Um, you know, you could do something, uh, try to just drop down one, or but it's just, no, if you like a quarterback enough to take them at two, you don't play games. No, no cute nothing, none of this cute stuff. You just take him at two. And I, I still think that's where it's going to be at the end of the day. Um, as far as, uh, I, yeah, I guess I go Danish as well. Uh, I'm not, I, ha- I don't, haven't had too many turnovers in my life. I'm not a big uh, breakfast pastry guy either. So uh, Danish, it depends on uh, the type of Danish, how, where it's from. But I'll, I'll eat a Danish, sure. 
And with that knowledge of Chris Nimbley's breakfast eating habits, we already knew that he's a big bacon, eggs, and sausage guy. We now know he's not a big pastry guy. We will end the mailbag for this weekend. Thank you so much for jumping on. As always, Chris, really appreciate it. I'm sure you've got plenty of stuff up at JetsInsider.com and much more to come. So what's happening over there? Yeah, I got some stuff up, up on, uh, you know, Sala and uh, the presser, all that type of good stuff. We're going to start switching over to free agency and uh, and draft-related stuff coming in the next coming weeks or so. So, uh, you know, there's still going to be some staff hiring, some little things there. But really, I'm adjusting. I'm, I'm making that switch now to really get into the free agency and draft stuff. Make sure to visit Chris over at JetsInsider.com and also follow him on Twitter at CNimbly and at JetsInsider. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.